I'm Justine Murray. And I'm Mariah Rakraku. Welcome back to Te Ahikā. Now, I remember at the foreshore in Seabed Hikoi in 2004, hearing Māori calling to Pākehā standing on the sidelines watching... Join, join us, join us, us. We're, we're marching, marching for, you for you as well. And that's what Taiha Kure Iri Diri reminded his audience of in 1989 at Waitangi in regards to the Treaty of Waitangi. But then we must also not forget that the treaty is not just a Bill of Rights for Māori. It is a Bill of Rights for Pākehā. It is a treaty that gives Pākehā the right to be here. Without the treaty, there would be no lawful authority for that. The Pākehā here are not like, say, Indians in Fiji, or perhaps even the French in New Caledonia. Our Prime Minister can stand proud in Pacific forums and in international forums, not in spite of the treaty, but because of it. That's coming up in our archival segment, Nga Taonga Kōrero. Justine's with a couple of stall holders at a Hamilton market, Chris Perenara, who sells polished rocks with messages. So you get people that come along and say, oh, pet rocks, and then you get other people that come past and they see the message, like if you've got wairua on it, they'll see that, or kia ora, or popular ones there is like t- the ones with tūmeke, like I love my moko, my moko's tūmeke, or that sort of thing. They go well. How many of you discover at 19 what you want to do for the rest of your life? Well, for George Henare, who has treaded the boards for over 40 years, it was an easy choice. Despite his father initially hoping he would consider a career with sheep rather than with Shakespeare. That's why I was brought up in, uh, on a sheep farm. Well, I mean, uh, it was that sort of thing where my, my father... I think realised that uh, there was no option but me being a sheep farmer. <laughs> I have an over, over um, vivid imagination. You should know this one's <laughs> met with something else. Luckily for us, eh, and Aotearoa, he chose the stage and was named this year as the recipient of an award from the Māori Board of Creative New Zealand. The role of Iwi Radio is to promote te reo Māori me ona tikana, the language and its customs, to their audience. And one person doing that in Christchurch at Tahu FM, having gone from her role as the coffee girl to the main te reo Māori on air host, is Cherie Waitoa. The boss liked my voice so much that he said, oh hey, can you do these hours? So it kind of progressed from saying kia ora, Tahu FM, Cherie speaking, to kia ora, you're listening to Tahu FM, you know. <laughs> Kiri Opai is 100% dedicated to te reo Māori. So much so, he challenges the type of te reo Māori our kids are learning. If you notice something different in the air, maybe because daylight savings is official, that means more sun when we go home and more time for play. Let's look at kupu Māori, or Māori words that are pertinent to this time of the year. Aira, like daylight, which is awatea. Now here's something beautiful, my cousin's name is Ka'awatia, or it means the new dawning light. Oh, beautiful, beautiful, all right. Okay, so it's going to be warmer weather soon, so you can use huarere mahana, 
warm weather. And it's a great time to get into summer sports. The word sport is hakinakina. Touch rugby is always a popular hakinakina. Won't be too long before players dust off their touch shoes. Touch rugby is pa fitupauru. Sleep, which I'm sure we will have less of because we lose an hour, is moi. More daylight is more playtime. Play is takaro. Fresh mussels on the grill, juicy steak, sausage and bread. Vegetarian sausages. <laughs> Barbecue cooking happens soon. Barbecue is rore rore. Fish and chips by the beach sounds like the plan. Fish is ika and chips is riwai parai. Riwai, potato and parai, fry. Fried chips. Kueranga kupu haumote nei wa new words for you to learn. That was a stint in the chorus line of Porgy and Bess in 1965 as a 19-year-old that gave George Henare the first taste of what has led to an extremely successful acting career. And what hasn't he put his hand to? Their short film, feature movies, Māori theatre, Shakespeare, television, including the 1970s series The Governor, voicing radio drama. And who hasn't he played? King Lear, Vladimir Lenin, and then there's the historical Māori roles such as Honeheke, Hongi Hika, Rapata Wahawaha, and Apirana Nata. All roles Hinare has enjoyed as they acknowledge both sides of his whakapapa, Ngāti and Ngāpuhi. At then that he should be the latest recipient of an award from Te Wakatoi, acknowledging an artist's contribution to his medium, in Hinare's case, theatre. He now joins Huia Publishers co-founder Robin Barge and entertainer Ramon Tommy Taurima as holders of Te Tohu Toi Ke. Mo Te Tohu Toi Ke, making a difference and a huge difference and impact on moving image and on stage and theatre. My Ngāti Pro George Henry. I was brought up in, uh, on a sheep farm. <laughs> so from the sheep farm to the stage. To the stage. Well, I mean, uh, it was that sort of thing where my, my father, I think, realised that uh, there was no option but me being a sheep farm. <laughs> I have an over-vivid um, imagination. He said, no, this one's <laughs> meant for something else. But I think, yes, he... he um, he did up a bit on his advice and who said, you know, if you want to get on this world, you learn the Pākehā way and then you bring it back to your community. So my father took this advice and um, us younger kids, all us, the older ones were sent off to Te Ote and uh, Hukarere, whereas us younger ones were packed off to Pākehā boarding schools with, uh, where there was no reo and we were discouraged from speaking the reo from a very early age. I think that was after my grandmother, my great-grandmother died after, when I was about four then. Oh, okay. So, but I always heard it run around the home and uh, whenever we tried to speak we stopped and said no no you speak English but um, but interesting my mum had said to us um, look you're going to lose the deal but that hopefully there's one thing you won't lose is something that you've learned from a young age which is the mōhiotamautangata mm. which was very important to her and um, which incorporates of course the uh, the, the, the acceptance the unconditional acceptance and caring for people no matter who they are and what they are and and also the concept of tata tata and she said with that you'll still be Māori anyway you, the roots yeah, are there exactly and so for me it was like a whole new um, world that opened up for me and um, I threw myself into it gusto and found myself in a profession which I naturally fell into which felt so right to be in and um, because it was so interesting that it was the exploration of the human condition and the human behaviour and 
and and it's fantastic. It's just um, becoming aware that um, you, as a person, are capable of all sorts of things. You can be anything you want to be in this mm. whole world. And this, um, and of course, when you get more and more of life's experiences with you, it's uh, it just becomes richer and richer. And hopefully, it'll carry on. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> as they say, actors never retire; they just carry on. Yeah. <laughs> so as a, as, a, as a child, did, were you one of a child that used to put on plays for the whanau when there was no power? Or, that I don't know? remember. Well, we, we never did. Well, we sort of had fits and starts of power when I started off. There was, we had the, the old tilly lamps, which we had, and, um, and the fridge, I think, was run with kerosene. <laughs> Yes, wow. they have a kerosene thing make the fridge go. <laughs> and, of course, all the meat and all that stuff went out in the safe outside. And, uh, and then when power came, yes, the whole new magical <laughs> thing. Oh. Yeah, well, well, we, well I, the power real, for real itself didn't arrive. We had um, a, a, an old engine, which was a startomatic thing, which used to generate the power for us, and which used to come in fits and starts. And... Um, so yeah, with I apparently my my brother said I used to be very bossy as a kid and order the kids around and do little plays with them and um, I was very a very good storyteller. I was very good at kehua stories. Oh. So yes, I used to love telling those. And um, one of the now grown up ones who are in her fifties reminded me of that in Auckland about a month ago. She said, "Do you remember that story you used to tell us about the wow. old woman and her golden tooth?" I said, "Good grief!" She said, "You're very scary." So yes, apparently I was uh, natural. That I mean, the only shows we live shows we had were the, I think people like Maria Dallas and those ones used to come around. And um, there was a magic show called The Great Benyon, which I suppose that this, where it's probably all started from. There, this, I found that fascinating. All this, these people disappearing behind curtains and lights and color and all that sort of stuff. Maybe that wow. all stuck with me. And gradually, as years went by, and we went to Gisborne Boys High School, we, we had visitors from the Players Quartet and um, New Zealand Players Quartet, and I thought, this is amazing what these people are doing. And only to find myself now working amongst a lot of them. Yeah. And uh, it wasn't really going to be my profession. I went to boarding to um, Ardmore Teachers College to learn to be a teacher, and then I studied singing there. And my singing teacher said, why don't you all can, or, um, audition for Porgy and Bess. I said, that'd be silly. Do I look like an opera singer? I haven't got... The... And much to my surprise, I got in as a chorus member. And after the... And we did the New Zealand tour of Porgy and Bess with Inia Tugueta. And um, then we had to re-audition again for the, the opera company proper, and that all happened. And then uh, they did... We took uh, Porgy and Bess to Australia. And uh, they, then I decided, thought, this is it. I s remember sitting in the Princess Theatre in Melbourne thinking because I had a letter then from the, um, the education department back here in New Zealand who said, look, uh, we can't give you any more, any more leave. You have to complete your PA year. And I decided to sit in the Princess Theatre, staring at that beautiful roof, all those um, freezes on the roof. I thought, this is it. This is what I want to be. This is, feels so right. Wasn't this it an epiphany? Feels so right. Uh, so I wrote back and said, I'm resigning. I don't want to be a teacher. This is what I want to do. And I've been fortunate enough to be able to do this as a full-time profession for the last 43 years yeah oh my goodness so I mean you know is is you know growing up for myself seeing you in different uh, things on tv and movies what has kind of stuck out to you in terms of honing your craft back in the early days I suppose it would have been something like stage in particular well I, I was fortunate when I started off here in Wellington and and, uh, and in Wellington we Everything was starting off then, and there were no drama schools, so we had to learn as you know, learn on the hoops. Mm -hmm. I started with the opera company, and then uh, downstage invited me to come and do a play with them. So I did, then I 
said, would you like to come and do some more? So I started doing more plays with them. And then Radio New Zealand was starting off. And because I went to school with, with, uh, with uh, Witty Ihimaira, uh, they said, look, Richie's written all these short stories. Would you like to come and record them for us? I said, I've never done this before. So I did them, and I, of course, when I read them, I thought, oh, I know exactly. I know all these characters, this old lady and uh, these old ducks getting around playing. I know these people so well. And I read them, and they said, this is fantastic. Would you like to do some? So I got into that. And then television was starting off. And then so Don Selwyn and I and Josh Gardner did, our, did a program singing trio for gospel songs and... and um, and then there were people who were training to be uh, television directors, so we were their guinea pigs sort of thing. And so it sort of all blossomed from there, and everything was happening. They started touring with the Opera Quartet, and the Māori Theatre Trust was uh, up and running. And, um, yeah, so over the years, everything just piled up and piled up and piled up. The work was happening everywhere. And then I was invited up to Auckland to join the Mercury Theatre, and there I was thrown in. We had, I was fortunate that we had a director who didn't matter what colour you were or whatever, he just... Okay, you you play English, Englishman now. You play a Frenchman, a South African, whatever. And he and I just he threw me in all in the deep end at all these roles. And that was such a huge learning wow. experience for me. And one of the best things I look back on it now, I think, well, at least I kept the the, the ledger there on the Maori side, because on my father's side, my Ngāpuhi side, I've been able to do Hongihika and um, oh, yes. and Honeheke, and on my mother's side, the Ngāti Pro side. I played uh, Apirananata and uh, Rapata Wahawa, so the ledger is balanced. <laughs> in a way. Plus many, many other characters too. Yes, and so have you, in terms of playing all those characters, a lot of research must go into developing how you how you would perform them. Oh yes, I mean there, there were times when I was a younger actor when you just had had to rely on, on instinct yeah. in a way to, yeah. get, to get through roles. You think I don't really understand this, but. Then, of course, as you have more of life's experiences, it gets richer and richer. And I remember playing about four years ago, I think I did Pātara Tatuhi, and, and the play called about Goldie. And Pātara Tatuhi wow. was just so... Peter Hawes had written him so beautifully. And it was, and I sat in this role, I thought, this is a role I feel so comfortable in. I know exactly about... I know this old fellow, and I just know exactly what he... Because he was one of his, his subjects, Pātara Tatuhi. Uh, of Goldie's subjects, he used to come and have afternoon tea with him, and well, Goldie painted him, and uh, it was beautiful, just the most beautiful piece of writing. And the character was so one of was one of those things. I thought, all my life's experiences, I know, I don't have to work now. Mm. It's one of those roles you sit and you think, I don't have to work this role. I know exactly what, who this old man is, and I can be him just like that. And I loved it. And, it was, uh, and that was one of my, my favourite favourite roles. Making an impact in a big way is Sheree Waitua. She is one of the main announcers on the Araake programme on Tahu Georgie station that's based in Christchurch. Host of Tereo reality series Wakareo. That's on Māori television. Plus, she's a muso from way back. We've got a couple of her waiata from her 2004 album Waha Na Wawata. My role here at Tahu is a radio announcer, first and foremost, as well as a kind of a sound engineer, kai uh, as well as admin, kai as well. <laughs> so I'm a bit of a mix of multiple uh, jobs I've got here, but first and foremost, a radio announcer in te reo. And, and, how, and how do you do, do that? 
uh, we broadcast, well I broadcast with a co-host called Paura Rangifitu between the hours of 11 and 4pm and during those hours we just totally speak te reo and promote te reo as well as the Māori waiata up and coming Māori artists that are wanting to sing in our native tongue. You've been um, in Iwi Radio for quite a few years now? Uh, yes, uh, about 10 years now I've been in Iwi Radio. Uh, before that I was working for Tahu FM but just as a voluntary type job as well as I was doing school as well. So, but on the payroll, 10 years. Wow, 10 years. And where did it all be- so it began at Tahu? It began all at Tahu for just like picking up rubbish or <laughs> the coffee girl yeah, the coffee girl <laughs> <laughs> and then I just kind of got distracted from school so I had to quit that and go back to school and then after I became a, the receptionist for Tahu VM the boss liked my voice so much that he said oh hey can you do these hours so it kind of progressed from saying Kilda Tahu VM true speaking to Kilda you're listening to Tahu VM <laughs> you know <laughs> And in those 10 years since you've been here, um, how has Tahu FM changed? Not only so much on air, but within it, internally? Office-wise, people-wise, it's changed a lot. Like People have good work ethic. Um, they're here to do a job, not just to get paid. Um, Radio-wise, we've gone from just a little tape deck and a little wee CD player mm, to all carts. this... Yeah, to carts. To all this flash computer stuff that it's just a push of a button and the whole thing goes mm. so it's progressed a lot um the way we think like we're thinking commercially as well as just you know being since we're broadcasting abroad like throughout new zealand we're thinking more commercial radio heads i guess mm. you could say than just the old you're listening to tahu and from this street to this street yeah, just a yeah. block so we've had to adapt to what we've been given and I mean, you've got Sky Digital, Dunedin, Kaikoura, Christchurch. Mm. I mean, is it a, a Tahu FM's the only iwi station operating in the South Island? I mean, that must be a buzz. Do you consider it, it, it an honour? It is an honour. It is a buzz, but it's a lot of work. <laughs> yeah. So it was, some iwi you can just promote, you can just do your thing in that one city, but because we're around, we have to accommodate those who are outside our capability of actually getting to them, being in their presence. Mm. So we've had to think like that creatively more. Um, it is an honour, the only iwi station in Te Waipounamu. I mean, oh my gosh, <laughs> everyone wants to work here. <laughs> and in terms of Te Waipounamu and, and the Māori presence in Te Waipounamu, um, does it reflect via listeners and via support? Is it is it hard? Or? It is hard because people... Māori down here wants to just stick to their own. So it's trying to get them to participate in kaupapa Māori things like kapahaka festivals. Mm. I mean, it's just taken a good five years for Māori to come to the kapahaka festivals down here. Yeah? Via us, trying to promote it via Tau It Getting people to speak Māori down here, it's a confidence thing. Like... Yeah. They think they don't know anything, but really they do. They know more than what they're trying to put out there. So it's just building a relationship with the community and telling them that that it's okay to speak Māori. Even if you're wrong, just let yourself be corrected. Don't take offence to it. Mm. It's just, yeah, confidence. Fantastic. And in terms of um, reaching to the audiences all over the um, South Island, how how is that portrayed on air? Like, do you do shout-outs to, like, 
to Kaikoura and Dunedin. I'll tell you what, most of our shout-outs come from Gisborne. <laughs> we're in the South Island and things are coming from Gisborne. We've got calls coming from Gisborne. Uh, we get numerous shout-outs from all over the place. The ones that take it for granted is the ones in Christchurch. They think, oh, look, they're already here. But it's the ones outside that keep us going, mainly because they're like more interested than mm. the community here in Christchurch. But, hey, they're just probably just lazy, just don't want to talk or <laughs> ring us. But mainly our calls, Gisborne. Wow. Well, you are you're a Nazi pro girl. Yes, I am. Maybe that's maybe that's one of the reasons. <laughs> I like to think that. And so, in terms of um, te mito te reo, do you choose your Nazi pro or or kaitahu, ngaitahu? Uh, I try and converse in both. I don't really. I'm still trying to learn the ngaitahu mm-hmm. dialect. It's really hard since I've been brought up speaking the ng instead of the k. So it's really really hard. But it's similar. Like kaite pihakwe is also from or kaiteaha from Ngatipurau. Mm. Down here it's still kaite pihakwe. Oh, okay. so uh, similar, very similar. So you can tell that the two brothers or uncle and nephew were connected oh, through the deal. So um, Shri, kukui te te hunga kai um, me ki te kai fakarite o te wahanga wakareo. Uh, me kōrero mai hea te tino kaupapa o wakareo? Uh, ko te kaupapa o wakareo kia, kia puta te reo ki ngā iwi katoa o te motu nei uh, kia awhina ia rātau e ako ana i tō tātou nei reo mm. uh, koera te whainga o wakareo uh, kia ki te hoki i ngā tauiwi e ako ana i te reo ngā tauiwi katoa ngā iwi no Tāwahi, e hehe ana ki te kōrero i tō tātane reo, kōra te whainga. Hei te mutunga, ko te toa o tērā whakātiranga o, wakaru, o wakareo ko te reo, koira te, o kōra tōku nei whakāroi pāna ki tērā o ngā whakātiranga o, o ko te reo te mia nui. Aha ko te aha. Aha ko ngā piki me ngā hiki, kei reira ngā piki me ngā hiki, engari ko te toa ko te reo. Shiri Waitua ngō Ngāti Parau, rungo whakāta me Ngāti Raukawa. And a list of those tracks are at our website, radionz.co.nz forward slash tiahika. Every Saturday morning, one of the main roads in the Hamilton suburb of Frankton is closed off as it morphs into a market, overflowing with stalls full of designer knockoffs, cheap, nasty clothing, veggies, kai, and... It's the perfect venue to highlight a couple of Māori entrepreneurs, one selling stones with messages, the other tongue-in-cheek designed T-shirts. Oh, I'm Chris Pedernara, and I'm from Oho and live in. Do you, and, but you live in, in Hamilton? Yeah, I came up here to um, work with the New Zealand AIDS Foundation in 1994, and that was a six-month contract, and I've been here ever since. Just don't want to leave, eh? Oh, you love the people too much, maybe. You sort of, yeah, it grows on you. I mean, get to know people and have contacts, and makes life easier if you're doing your craft work. And how long have you been coming to the markets for? 96. So that's uh, 12, 12 years. And how has it changed? For me, not at all, because my prices haven't changed. I'm same price in 96 as today. 
And I find that if you have a product that's affordable, well then, yeah. Wow. And tell us, what, what do you make? Well, contemporary work, but I paint kōhatu because, you know, we go over the East Coast and all around New Zealand getting them, and that's the fun. It's the best part. You know, you take a cold roast and a loaf of bread, and when you get to the beach, that's a picnic just on its own and getting away and you know there's lots of good parts to the work but I suppose getting money for it's the best So you, um, just to explain kohatsu it's, it's uh, tiny um, polished stones that's no, painted, painted with a message so you get people that come along and say oh pet rocks <laughs> And then you get other people that come past and they see the message, like if you've got wairua on it, they see that, or kia ora, or the um, popular ones there is like t- the ones with tūmeke, like I love my moko, my moko's tūmeke, or that sort of thing. They go well. But the nannies love to buy those ones? Oh, of course they do, and the mokos like to buy the nanny ones. And how, do you just do this in your spare time, making oh, them? it's or? a full-time job. Um, my spare time watching Coronation Street painting stones. <laughs> Lovely. Is it, is it expensive to keep up, to maintain, or is it and just you a... You do have to buy paint and gloss and glitter and pens. So the, what do you call it, the profit may not be high, but it's enough to keep me going, you know. And who, and t- who taught you how to do it? Well, Did whole does it. Like we're a trust. And my sister does vases and things, and then I do these, and we all come together and work together, yeah. Fantastic. And so you're ready to go home soon because the market's closed? I was ready at 8 (laughs) o'clock. But we don't close till 1. How's business been today? Oh, just ticking over. Not, I'm not going to be a millionaire at this rate, but I'm not going to eat sausages all week either. And it's been 12 years, so, I mean, can you see yourself being here for another five? Or of course not. <laughs> I'm going to win lottery tonight and then to hell with the whole bloody thing. <laughs> and Nohia Kwe, where are you from? Oh, uh, Oh, kapai, kapai. So how long have you coming to the Frankton Markets? Oh, me ki toru marama Oh, true. Hi. So you're relatively new to the whole... Frankton, Ahua, Okay, so we're here. What's your stall? Miki Tihate. Tihate, na t-shirts, kapai. So let's let's take me through all the um, the sayings on the t-shirts. They're quite cool, aren't they? Oh, aye, aye. Um, let's start from this one. Tuhoi. Yeah. No retreat, no surrender. Let's go to the next one. Chevai. <laughs> What's your um, biggest selling one? Uh, Waine Toa. Yeah? Waine Toa is one of the good ones. And me and Māori me, if you see my mother, warn the brother. <laughs> oh, let's go through your iwi one, your iwi oh, t-shirts. Yeah, down, more iwi down here. We've got the Ngāti Maniopoto. And we've got some good ones right next to it. And there's Haututu, and you know. What did you say since? Oh, Haututu since way back. We've got two <laughs> colours, right? Green and black. Thank you. So how long are you going to be here for? Oh, till... One o'clock. One o'clock-ish. 
Yeah. Yeah. And then back, and what's the, the same routine next? From seven in the morning. Kia ora Lenkana, and I hear you about the Lotto Chris Perenara. If you head to our webpage, radioNZ.co.nz forward slash Tiahika, you'll see photos from the Frankton Markets. The Chief Judge of the Māori Land Court and Chairman of the Waitangi Tribunal are positions shared by a single person. A few weeks back we heard from Chief Judge Joe Williams when the deadline for the submission of all historical treaty claims closed. Yet before he took on the dual roles, Taiha Kure Iri Jury was in charge. After nine years in the job, Jury spoke at Waitangi in the Bay of Islands. The year is 1989. What the treaty means for me personally, I have no brief to say what the treaty means for all Māori. But what it means for me personally, and how we might celebrate the treaty, especially now as we move to its 150th anniversary in 1990. 1990, in my view, must surely be the year of the treaty, and it is necessary to say that, because when Hobson left here, he moved a little south, and he established Auckland, at the invitation of Apihai Tekawau. And so it is also the 150th year of Auckland. And even while that was happening, settlers were coming into Wellington, so it's the 150th anniversary of Wellington. And if we go back a hundred years ago, we can see that many things were happening in our nation at the time. The welfare state was getting started. The union movement was taking a new direction. There were a number of developments at that time. So that 1990 will be shared with many things. But let us as Māori not forget that there would have been no Auckland, no Wellington, no welfare state, no union movement, but for Waitangi. It must come first. The treaty is the foundation of our modern state. And our natural modesty as Māori should not prevent us from insisting that in 1990 the spotlight should fall upon us, the Māori. Waitangi is not a symbol of the rights of minorities. Minorities' rights are very important, and I support them. But when the treaty was signed, we were not a minority. It is not a celebration of the many cultures of New Zealand. I rejoice in the multicultural character of our country. We all do. We are so much part of Mili Sirhoi's people in the north that we have no other option. But the treaty is primarily about the protection of the Māori culture, no other, no other. It is about neither minorities or multiculturalism but it is about the social and political and cultural rights of the indigenous people. It has all to do with prior ownership. And the treaty recognises that, that we as Māori were not found. Abel Tasman or Captain Cook didn't find us. 
We were never aware that we were lost. We did not need to be found. <clears throat> and nor is the treaty about privilege. It is no privilege to keep one's properties. That's a right. The treaty is about just rights and properties. And those are the words of the treaty. The only privilege was that of settlement. The treaty is about the most basic principles of justice and law, as we heard during the interdenominational service earlier on. And we must be careful not to consider that the treaty locks us into some dim, dark facet of our history. Justice can never be outmoded. The treaty is no more part of an irrelevant past than the Ten Commandments, the New Testament, the Hippocratic Oath, the Universal Declaration of Human Rights. Only last year, 148 years after the treaty, a working group of the United Nations prepared a draft declaration on indigenous people's rights that was no more than a restatement of our Treaty of Waitangi. The principles of the treaty then are not diminished by time. Rather, it takes time to perfect them. But then we must also not forget that the treaty is not just a Bill of Rights for Māori. It is a Bill of Rights for Pākehā. The treaty that gives Pākehā the right to be here. Without the treaty, there would be no lawful authority for that. The Pākehā here are not like, say, Indians in Fiji, or perhaps even the French in New Caledonia. Our Prime Minister can stand proud in Pacific forums and in international forums, not in spite of the treaty, but because of it. We must remember that if we are the Tangata Whenua, the original people, then the Pākehā are the Tangata Tiriki, those who belong to the land by right of that treaty. To honour our forebears then, we as Māori must never challenge, threaten, or compromise, or prejudice the rights of Pākehā to be here. We cannot claim our own rights if we do not first respect those of others. We cannot honour our own people, or our own forebears, if we do not first honour others. But the evidence is quite clear, our ancestors were not witless when they signed the treaty. They sought trade. They sought education. The treaty does not tie us into grand goods. Our forebears paid a high price to achieve the advantages of a Western settlement and of a close alliance with the Pākehā. And if we are to take the fullest advantage of the treaty of our ancestors, then it is up to us to seek the very best that Western economic and, edu and education can provide. We have a right to it. And so I see much to celebrate in this treaty. I do not join with those who say that recognition of the treaty has come too late or is too far away. The progress made in the last decade has been remarkable. The treaty is moving as surely as the tide, in my view. In statutes in the House of Parliament, in bureaucratic operations, in legal administration, in the courts, 
in local authority planning, the treaty is now well known. Interesting, eh? Looking back since then, of course, we've had Sea Lords, Y262, the Flora and Fauna Claim, and a number of settlements. You can hear that corridor again, as you can all Tiahika programs at our website, radioNZ.co.nz forward slash Tiahika. And if you enjoy the program, why don't you let us know at Tiahika at radioNZ.co.nz. Kiri Opai has a passion for te reo Māori. For the past 25 years, he has studied, analysed and more recently taught te reo Māori. During which time he's come to a few conclusions. One being te reo Māori does not have a gender bias like other languages. And another being the English language has had more of an influence on te reo Māori than we may be aware. And he's not just talking about transliterations either. Ai ngai, we ngā mana, ai te kai nge wakarongomaina. E me ara te ngākau, e tangina rā te ngākau. E nā koutou, te nā koutou, e nā koutou te wakarongo maina. E kwa aunoe anei tēnei ko Kiriopai, noro te ngā pari kārangaranga tanga iwi apu ānau, o roto taranaki ānui, mai pari nini iki waitotara, waitotara ki taipake. E oro tātou. Kia ora. You've written a paper that challenges uh, perceptions that te reo Māori is sexist, nera. I have. Yep. Now, what's that all about? Um, well, basically, I'm I'm interested in the subject anyway. But it's from my uh, thesis, my master's thesis uh, that I did here at Te Wānaurokawa, um, basically on the fact that the Māori language is a non-sexist language. That is, it's it's quite equal in its sort of uh, gender distribution of, of power and authority and mahi and that sort of stuff. So, Kitty, how did you come to those conclusions? How did I come to those conclusions? Um, basically, over the last almost 25 years now, I've been um, teaching Māori language and um, sort of uh, I, I looked at it from every angle I could think of, all the sort of grammatical angles and, you know, so construction, vocab, everything, and, and sort of tried to have a look at it and see if it was... It had any parts in it at all that I could see were perhaps gender bias or um, perhaps favoured one gender and not the other, and I just really couldn't find anything like that. So, you know, for instance, there's no such thing as masculine and feminine nouns, or um, there's no inconsistencies when it comes to the an or category, all that sort of stuff. So I, I put that together for my master's thesis and just sort of uh, whipped a bit out for the uh, for the actual paper that I'll be presenting. Now, if we could just dive into the real then. Sure. So what, what you mean by um, anything that shows gender bias? So, for instance, in the Spanish language, mm-hmm. there are certain, um, oh, what's an example? Like if it's got an A on the end or an O on yeah, the end, so that denotes whether something is female or male. Yes. So, so for, for instance, in Spanish, you have una malata. So that's a, a suitcase. So hold clothes, so, oh, gee, that must be a, a feminine object. Whereas un banco, you know, a, a bank with money and power, that's a, a male object somehow. See, so, so you know, I thought that was interesting. Any, any language that seems to be based on Latin, it, it has those sort of concepts, those ideas. It's, it's codified within the language. So in English, of course, 
is very similar. It comes from that. Um, so you go onto a ship and it's a she and all that sort of stuff. So, you know, I looked at all those sort of things in Māori language and, you know, we don't really have any, in quotation marks, man-made objects, except for those that actually represent tūpuna. Yep, meaning? Uh, so, therefore, um, you don't have a patu that is a male object. It's just a, an object. Right. But you have a whanenui that is a male or female because it represents a tūpuna, of course. But th- those are the only sort of things. So, you know, we don't have those ideas of um, this is male, this is female, this is good, this is bad, this is strong, this is not. You know, n- not in a way that I could at least perceive it in the in the actual language itself. So that fits in with everything that I've ever been told, that names don't have a gender either. Mm-hmm. So you can have... Uh, one uh, who's both a male and a female. Yeah. And, in fact, not only are most traditional names, tūpuna names, um, sort of, not only do they not have any sort of gender associated with them, but some actually have the opposite gender associated with them. So Tāne Roroa, as a tūpuna, was uh, a female. And tuahine. Um, you know, there are men yeah, of called course. tuahine. Yeah. So our basis for naming people is, is different, just like everything is. So so one of the things I looked at was swearing. So if you look at any language, you, you can tell a lot about the, the mindset of the people that speak it, that construct the language by their swearing. And in English, uh, pretty much, there's a lot to do with um, basically demeaning um, women's genitalia. And in Māori, of course, we just don't have those concepts, don't have those ideas at all. It's nothing to do with that. It's all about... Tapu and noa. Aye, because people are always astonished that there are no um, swear words in te reo Māori. Well, there are plenty of swear words. They're just they're not the same It's concepts. just they don't mean, yeah, they, they don't, don't carry the same connotations and aren't necessarily gender-focused. Yeah, eh? that's no, absolutely. That's, that's right. It's, it's, the focus is tapu and noa. So most of the swear words, so to speak, um, come from the idea of I'm going to take away your tapu or you're not tapu anymore or you're merely noa and that sort of stuff. So kayote kuri, poko ko, you know, all that sort of stuff. Eh? Yeah. <laughs> That's one that old people used to say all the time, eh? Especially my queer when she used to bang her her, her uh, thumb with the old hammer there when she was making uh, repairs to the fence and stuff like that, yeah. So, yeah, so, you know, totally different mindset, totally different concepts, not about gender, mainly about wakapapa, really about... Um, you know, the people and the times and mana and tapu and that sort of stuff. So really, really different from the the way the English language is, is constructed. It's um, much more about the subject as opposed to the, the actual action. That's what Māori language is more about. But in your paper, you're actually, you go so far as to say that te reo Māori has been so influenced by the English language and through colonisation though, don't you? Absolutely. Yep. No, I think most people would um, be able to look at a few examples and, and get that idea. Um, I mean, just if you take some nice, easy examples, family, people are actually saying family for family. So it, it takes away all the mana from the word whānau um, and therefore the relationship between women giving birth and, you know, whānau, the, the extended family, as opposed to the nuclear family, which is whāmere. So that's just one example, let alone all the others. I mean, I, I do talk about some in my paper. 
Um, that's the transliteration, though, isn't it, Farmy there? Yep, of course. Yeah. But but see, that's where we're going, eh? Where we've been going for a long time is um, all about transliterations, and often um, they come from English, of course. Therefore, they are they inherently hold that that sexism. Um, so instead of um, you know Farno that everyone should know and use, and you know we've we're saying this thing far many, but many others, many others. So, what are some more examples, Kitty? Well, even just getting away from the um, the transliterations or, or loan words, really, um, just for period. So, women have their periods. Most people, are, I dare say, would say, um, "Oh, that's mate wahine." It's actually not mate wahine. I, I believe that's come from the English influence and um, sort of androcentricity, that is male focus, male perspective, um, because there are lots of traditional words for uh, the your period. One would be pa'eke, um, but there are many others. So, you know, just that explains the action that displays sort of what's happening there. Um, it's got. There's no judgment on it. There's no good, bad, ugly. It's just that's the way it is. And with mate wahine, it's it's the connotation's negative. Absolutely. So it's you know basically women's sickness or women's illness or something, something negative. So um, you know the Maori language was not about that. But it's as I say, it's, it's starting to become that, um, or and it has been for a while, because we're we're taking on a lot of those ideas from from English and from the androcentric nature, the male-focused nature of English, um, and changing those sort of things. So so that's why we have things like mate wahine, whereas before they had lots of words for those sort of things. Now, Kenny, is this prevalent throughout Aotearoa? Oh, I believe so. Yep. I mean, you only have to um, listen to the radio or watch TV and you hear Māori language, and even though people are speaking Māori language, they've been, I guess, subconsciously sort of influenced by um, their English surroundings from the dominant language, really. So so you have... So another thing I sort of talk about in the paper is just if you go to some of our kura, kura kaupapa, or where young people are learning Māori or speaking Māori, you inevitably come across the fact that they are speaking Māori in an almost, almost foreign way. Just as an example... Um, I was at a kura kaupapa. Um, some kids were um, hitting a tree with a stick and uh, the bark was flying off and I went over to them and I said, oh, e yatane. And they sort of all scratched their heads and looked away and walked away for a minute. A little while later they, they were beating the tree again and the teacher came along and, and said to them, Koa e patu e I would suggest that how I said it, you know, is that how you look after Tane? Is sort of a, a bit more of a, I guess, a, a Māori way of thinking or a traditional way of thinking as opposed to don't hit the tree. And so, you know, th- that's in a kura kaupapa. So we're, we're speaking Māori there, but the, the difference in the conceptual nature, the concepts behind the actual language, that's that's really prevalent. You go anywhere and, you know, of course you hear those Sort of well, it's also, things, eh? I mean, what you're saying is um, something that I'm, I grew up around and that's, it's like the whakaro is only reaching a certain level. Yeah. It's not that deep stuff, the sure. way that our old people used to talk. Sure. 
Hey. Yeah. But Who would have said, you know, you don't treat Tane like that? Sure, sure. Um, and you know, I guess yeah, I, I just want to sort of get people to to pay attention to that because, you know, it's it's important for us as a people to sort of to carry on in the ways of our tupin, I think. And and I, I to be honest, I don't think they'd actually be happy with some of that sort of stuff, with tohuri and all that sort of stuff that you hear at Kurakopa, but you know, it's just kayakwe. Or whatever, you know, as an example. So we're really getting away from those traditional concepts, getting away from the environment, from Nungi and Papa, all that sort of thing. We're, you know, following the um, the English phrases. Even again, a little bit of, I sort of talk about in the papers, just the um, the active nature of English sentences as opposed to the passive nature of Maori sentences. So you know, we're not using so many passives and things called neuter verbs and all that sort of stuff. So what's days. an example, Kenny? So an example of that would be something like, um, I've heard it Kurakaupapa recently, nana i pakaru te matapihi, mm-hmm. instead of, oh, i pakaru ya ya te matapihi, or something similar, you know. So again, emphasising that, um, if just following the English phrase, or kei te areau ki te toa, you know, instead of, oh, Marque Ariki or something, you know, so I will go to the shop, you know, that, just following the English pattern. So it's some of it's um, subtle, some of it's really blatant, obvious, and just it's just to be aware of it, eh? Um, because we're, we're moving away from our traditional stuff and some of the English stuff, I tell you, apart from anything else, um, it's really, really sexist. It's quite demeaning to women. So, um, I don't like that. <laughs> I'm not into that, thanks. <laughs> okay, so let's get back into that again. Yeah. Um, te reo Māori is in a sexist language. Yeah, it's very gender balanced. Yep, absolutely. So if if the old people who constructed the language believed that um, women were somehow less, that they didn't have as much mana or something like that as men, then why aren't there really big inconsistencies? So... It, it would be toku papa, taku mama, or you know something like that. So that's using the a and the all category. Yeah, so the, the a and all category. So just as an example, you know, you, so just like in in other languages where you've got um, masculine and feminine nouns, something with power is inevitably male, bigger, stronger, inevitably male. Something smaller, lesser, something to do with the home or clothes. Always, always about women. So why don't we have big, huge inconsistencies like that in our language. Well, we don't because they didn't see it like that. It was rangi and papa. Hey. So it wasn't somehow all, all the atua and ngā tamariki a rangi papa somehow just came from rangi. No. It had to have that balance. Otherwise, the world doesn't work. And and I believe that's, uh, that's in that story, the, the Pudako, of course, about our origins, about all the um, male Ngātamaniki Arangi Rauko Papa. The world didn't work, basically, as that. There were no people. That can't happen. So, you know, inevitably those, those Pudako that come out of that, I think one of the lessons is that we need to have a balance. Now, one of the first things you talk about is when you, you are talking to someone and you say ko waikui. Mm-hmm. Um, can you talk some more about that? Yep. Well, I, I put those examples of ko waikui, nā waikui, all that sort of stuff. 
Um, I don't think I'd actually say that to someone. I'd probably no. say, no hair point, no. you know, that sort of thing. But but just the examples of why it's all about why <laughs> now why erua. Um, so all those examples are from our origins, from water. So when you do your pepeha, funnily enough, people don't go from the sea up to the mountain. They follow the mountain down to the sea. They follow the flow of water. If you talk about wakapapa, you and talk what about you mean by that is when you say call blah blah te maunga, te awa, te waka, or whatever, you follow the flow of water. So it makes sense in an indigenous way, in an indigenous well, with an indigenous perspective. You know, it doesn't make sense to go the other way, sort of thing. So all of that, kawai dangatira, or whatever, you might be talking about your wakapapa, kawai tupuna. You know, it's all about why. Um, so yeah, our origins are from the idea of way, way rua, na way koi. You know, that was a thing that I heard a lot when I was a kid was, oh, na way koi. You know, way mau matu. You know, these days people are saying, koi koi. You know, it's a bit blunt, it's a bit, well, it's a bit in your face. direct if, you yeah. have, if you've just met that person for the first time. <laughs> yeah, it's a bit, like, it's a bit what rude. Are you? You know, yeah, yeah, absolutely. So, you know, it's more those sort of, those sort of things. Oh, from whose water do you actually come from? Mm. Life-giving water, you know? So, Kenny, what would be your advice then to people who, you know, they haven't had, they haven't been fortunate enough to have uh, kaumatua in their lives sure. or to have that kind of contact? Yeah. Um, learn Māori stuff uh, in any way you can, but if at all possible, um I would recommend uh, a number of things. Uh, a wānanga Māori, uh, go to a wānanga Māori if you can. Um, obviously, if you actually do still have kaumātua and iwi and hapu and whānau at the marae and stuff that you can spend time with and learn from, absolutely, you need to do that. Great. Um, and if if you don't have any of those sort of options... Um, the one book I really, really like and would really recommend uh, would be Neo Māori or Nāne, Modern Māori by P.M. Ryan. Read that up. If you know it inside out, you'll have a really good start to um, speaking Māori and, and thinking Māori and, and you know, learning all the, the aspects of the Māori world. I think that's a really good, uh, a good Māori language teaching tool. Modern Māori, P.M. Ryan. So you talk about how some statements just aren't possible in Te Reo Māori, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Because they they lean heavily towards making a gender distinction. Absolutely. Aye. So yeah. what, can you explain that a little bit further? So, well, just some of the examples that uh, I've used. I mean, I was I sort of had to laugh when when I'd hear things like, "Man is a mammal, therefore he breastfeeds his young." I thought, how is that possible? You know. So, but because it's androcentric because it's you know, male focused there are statements like that whereas in Māori you just can't say that sort of thing um, so you know I had a look at the um, uh, not only the gender balance but just um, you know words that don't actually have any gender associated with them and, and you know are in English but aren't in Māori so his tōna, ōna, tāna, āna nōna, nāna same as hers tōna, ōna, tāna, nāna you know, all those sort of things so there seems to be, um, you know, a huge amount of the language that just doesn't have any gender associated with it, and because it obviously wasn't that important. Mm. Whereas in English, 
It is, because you need to define if it's male or female. If they are male, then they have power, then they have status, then they have land, and you know the feudal system, all that sort of thing. It's come from that idea, nobility, all that sort of stuff. Ours isn't like that. Ours has come from the environment and living with the environment and being part of the environment. So therefore, it doesn't, you know, necessarily make sense unless it's a, a, a tupuna. Yeah. So you can see how, <clears throat> for people learning Te Reo Māori as a second language, uh, that haven't necessarily had any involvement or contact with Te Reo Māori, mm-hmm. that they'd really struggle with understanding this sort of thing. Oh yeah, absolutely. It's it's really hard. It's really hard for people. Um, because you know they, most people that uh, that are taking out Māori language, you know, usually are sort of uh, from here, so they they only have, you know, one language, the monolingual. So they they sort of try to balance those things up, and of course there are huge differences. Um, ones you know come from Latin and um, other sort of languages, Germanic and all that sort of thing. Ones Polynesian, totally different concepts. And certainly part of it would have to be the, the inherent sort of sexism that is in English. Um, but oh, there's so many things for, for learners to to learn that it's, you know, it's really hard. Different concepts, different mindset right from mm, the word go. Completely different mindset. Yeah. Like even the thing around plurals, eh? Oh, yeah, all and then that. like now you hear people saying, oh, the iwis. Sure. The hapus. Uh... Sure. Yeah, well, all of that. You know, oh, there's no S. Um, somebody actually said to me once, oh, it must be easy to learn Māori language because there's not so many letters in it. <laughs> and you're from you're from Taranaki, so there's even less letters in yours. <gasps> yeah. It doesn't really work like that. <laughs> I mean, inevitably, you get people... In the last few years, I've had quite a few people come out to me when they're, they're learning. Young people sort of going, um, what's the Māori word for ho? What's the Māori word for bitch? And, you know, stuff like that. And so we need to sort of educate our own about um, those concepts. We, we don't have... Yeah, they just don't exist. Well, you can, you can down Not people. in that context that they're talking context. about, eh? No, no, I don't, think, I don't believe so. Um, you know, you, you, can, you can swear, you can down people just like any other language, but it's a totally different mindset. It comes from the environment. It comes from a different way of thinking. So... Um, you know, I, I have to say to them when they ask me questions like that, let's start off with ten ahoy. <laughs> let's let's start off at the bottom of the mountain and sort of keep climbing, and you know, hope hope they get it because um, I'd hate to see our language turn into something like that. That's um, you know, if you'll excuse the expression, a bastardisation of uh, of the language of our ancestors. Katie, how what's the response from other Māori teachers when they hear this? Um, mostly it is sort of it's like a little light has gone on inside and they've clicked and they've gone oh oh, that makes sense so um, I've, I've been quite impressed actually, I expected more resistance um, especially from males from Māori men going oh no, no it's like this Um but I think once they see the evidence, once they see the actual, um, you know, the, the examples I've quoted and, um, you know, things that are traditional, um, not just sort of from uh, yesterday, they sort of go, oh, how? well, actually, you're right. 
um, because, yeah, I think people inherently sort of intrinsically know that it's not um, a sexist language, but, you know, not many people have really sort of, uh, I guess, taken the time to really look at it and analyse it because we've got so many things to do and analyse and work out. And oh, yeah, stuff, and, eh? you know, there's the, you know, I'm sure that you'd have some people... Um, you know, some people's response to you could be, you know, well, stop being so precious. At least we've got people speaking sure. real Māori. Sure. I mean, at least we've got kids that are coming out to a floor, you know, it's their first language. Um, sure. Yes, there is that view. Um, but, you know, I'm, I'm really, I've you know, spent a long time, well, my lifetime really, trying to um, get back to a more traditional way of, of thinking, of speaking, of conceptualising things. Um, so, you know, I sort of wholeheartedly support uh, people like Te Muti Kāretu and, you know, ones like that that have been in the game for so long saying, well, actually, we don't just need to speak Māori like, um, you know, pigeon Māori. We need to speak Māori properly. Um, and uh, although I know a lot of people are a bit ha with people like that about uh, the grammar and all that sort of thing, it only makes sense. It only makes sense, you know, if you say in English, I am going to the shop, even though it's a simple sentence, everyone knows what you're saying. So if you mix it all up, shop going, I am, whatever, you know, it, it just doesn't make any sense. So, you know, we just need to get back to the sort of simple things but are, that are truly Māori, that are truly indigenous, you know. If you, all around the world, eh, it's, it's the same anywhere. Indigenous peoples think in a different way, with a different mindset, different concepts, you know, living with the land, part of the land, part of the environment, and... Um, you know, basically, I I have heard lots of uh, people speaking Māori these days that uh, that it, when they speak Māori, they're saying the words, but they they don't um, have those concepts in mind when they're, they're speaking. So they they literally go, oh, you know, look at the sea, and and I I remember my uh, toeke saying to me one day when I had a few uh, problems, he said to me, I thought at the time, you know, geez, what the hell are you talking about? Go and, go and listen to what the sea has to say? Hmm? But, you know, it, it was beautiful. It, what he meant was go and sit down by the sea, watch the waves, listen to the rhythm, you know, chill out. And just and, chill out. And chill out. Time. And, you know, it'll it'll come to you. And that's that's exactly what happened. So, you know, we're, we're missing that sort of stuff. You know, go and listen to what the sea has to oh, say. Oh, yeah. And my nanny used to always tell me to go and say hello to Tamanui Tera. Mm-hmm. Which was her way of getting me out of the house to go and sit in the sun yeah. and enjoy, you know, and get warm. Yeah, yeah. But, yeah, you know, that sort of that sort of idea, you know, as opposed to don't hit the tree, you know. Um, oh, yeah, all of those sort of things. Just just something to work on, I think. And, and along with it, that's part of the reason why I've written this paper and sort of pushed this sort of kaupapa for many years, really. I want people to sort of think about this. This is a, a real taonga. Um, I mean... Māori language, let's say, is a taonga anyway. But um, the fact that it has this amazing gender balance, that it it's not a sexist language, that's something to celebrate, I think. And so that's why I've called the paper and my thesis e ara te reo Māori i te reo tāmi o i te mana waine. You know, it's something to celebrate about mana waine. Great. It's not helpful to have people that don't come from our mindset, language, tikanga world and, you know, making judgments about 
our culture and stuff like that. That you know, that's, that's not helpful because they're coming from a totally different scene. They don't know what they're um, really talking about there. And sort of in the second uh, second side of that is that we need to ensure that um, our culture and tukonga reflects our language and vice versa. So, you know, part of the reason why I've done things like this is to um, just to get people to, to think about those sort of things. Um, so I believe that traditionally, um, you know, karanga went for as long as it went. And even in my lifetime, I have heard karanga that, you know, go for, I actually timed a couple, 25 minutes and stuff like that. So... Um, <laughs> I couldn't, you know, I couldn't believe it. I thought I'd better time this to make sure I'm, I haven't got it wrong. Uh, you know, so if that still happens in my lifetime, I can't, th- I can't imagine that in the old people's day, they just had a 15 second karanga and then the men spoke for three hours. And you know, I, I think it was much more gender balanced because the the karanga that I have heard in my lifetime from those those queer, uh, you know, it was they were beautiful. They were they had history. They had akapapa. They had everything in them that um, a man would have in a Waikorero, except mm. perhaps the Tauparapara. Um, so, and not only that, but uh, and some of the kuya that, that taught me Waita Tapito, that I was privileged enough to learn Waita Tapito from, they had such an array of Waiata to pick from that really they could say what they wanted to say by picking the right Waiata. And sometimes when they didn't agree with the men speaking and what they said, they did the wrong way it, or <laughs> cut them off during the you know oh. doing a way it, and you know all that sort of stuff. So, you know, I think that we have as a as a people taken on too many of the basically the colonizers' um, ideas and concepts and mindset. We've taken that on and put it into our own tukunga and said that's that's real Maori stuff. And I think at least we need to look at that, um, look at our marae. Look at our tikanga. Look at our what are we doing in our hapu and iwi, and you know at least um, have wānanga about it. You know, H- have a think about it. Is it okay for you to say, "Oh, we'll keep it short, girls," and have fifteen seconds of karanga, and then have men speaking about themselves, you know, and sort of, you know, not not really delivering faikorero, you know, a proper faikorero these days. It's very much. A sort of a, a mehi sort of thing, and you know, it's it's kopapa. I've always been about sort of, um, and and how I was taught was, you know, you learn to, to speak, to talk about the kopapa, and then you can sort of put the other fancy bits on, you know, the toparapa and makatoki and all that. Great, but um, you know, you have to be able to answer challenges and you know, speak Māori first, um, and then all those other things, and that that's you know how I was taught as a as a kid. Um, you know, they said to me, you know, don't worry about that fancy stuff. You you learn to speak in every way possible, answer every question, answer every challenge, and then we'll teach you the fancy pants stuff. <laughs> <laughs> you know, I think we're missing that. A lot of our kura kaupapa people and that are missing having time with, you know, real kaumatua, tūpuna, uh, you know, their grandparents, all that sort of stuff, that time with, with their old people. You know, you can just learn so much, you know, learn the Māori world, because it's a, it's a real Māori world, you know, it's a whole world, a whole universe. So um, when people say uh, things like, oh, you know, it must be easy to learn and um, not many, you know, not many words and not many letters and all that sort of stuff, it's it's a world. It's a world of uh, amazing stuff, really. Tukanga, you know, 
Macaro. Oh, amazing stuff. So that's what I've sort of uh, tried to do for, a, let's say, a few years now. Um, just, you know, get people to um, have a little window into that world because it's, um, yeah, it's a really amazing world. It's cool to be part of it. Now, you do that as part of your role at, here at um, Te Whariwananga o Raukawa Nira. Yeah, Te Wano Raukawa. So I, I teach the Master of Masaranga Māori here with uh, Pakake and um, Andrina and a couple of others that come in. So, yeah, we, we sort of try and focus on that. Um, people uh, coming in to do their, their masters, their degrees. Um, but it's, you know, it's a, I, one of the things I say in the, in the paper is that I encourage people to come to, you know, say, Te Wānauroko or the other Wānanga that are available um, because people are trying to run educational institutions um, within Tikanga Māori. And... Um, you know that's that's great. That's the sort of stuff we need to do more of. So um, although you know all education, great, go out there and get it. I would encourage people to come to places like the Wanderokawa um, and and the other Wananga around, um, because you can get a real Maori worldview from that, and we need more of that. It's centered in Maori worldview, but it you know has the focus of you know the fact being that the Maori language is a non-sexist language. Sure, but you know you only need to sort of look through it and um, have a have a brief analysis of the Māori language um, to sort of get that idea that, you know, we need to speak from the environment, from the concepts intrinsic in the environment and our worldviews, um, you know, not follow the English patterns. Um, even things like, I guess, uh, a lot of kiwaha come out on TV and stuff and you're you're saying kiwaha that actually belongs to different iwi and different hapu and all that sort of stuff. So what's an example of that, Kiri? I think, uh, just as an example, um, kei whaumai. Kei whaumai, you know, you're hearing people say that and, oh, um, great. Well, I've only really ever heard that on the East Coast. Um, you know, but now, because it's on TV, everyone's mm. saying it. So, again, I think part of a Māori worldview is that you go back to your own that you learn your own, that you support your own, that you perpetuate your own. So you, you carry it on. Um, and I know sort of in, in my area, in, in Taranaki, you know, that's that's happening, but it's it's not happening enough. You know, we need more people to be, you know, going home, learning from home, carrying on those things, whether it be waiata, kareki or whatever, wakazoki, all those sort of things, and our own dialects, of course. Very important, our own dialects. Again, don't really like the idea of, um, you know, people coming along um, and they uh, they sort of have this national dialect sort of thing. And you know, everyone has their what own... What do you mean by national dialect? Um, I guess what's being taught um, in schools generally and stuff, you know, it's, it's just... It, most people are second language learners, so therefore they've had to learn somehow. So they've learnt through either, you know, perhaps a... Uh, or wherever, um, and books and stuff like that. So they have this, um, they have Māori language, but you know we need to be ensuring our, our dialects don't fade away. And I, I know that sort of ours in Taranaki, you know, it's uh, it's actually very few that are that are holding on to it. So you know we just need to give it heaps. Mm. Now with Māori television, you know, I know with my own family, they watch and and you know they're responses have been that they don't really understand what they're saying. Mm-hmm. Now that's what you're talking about, isn't it? I, that's partly what I'm talking about. I mean, um, I've had certainly a lot of 
co-master say to me that they don't understand people speaking on Māori television. I mean, part of that, obviously, is the the sort of language that is used, that it's very, um, uh, well, there's a lot of educational terms in it, um, you know, ones that have come from um, university and that, so they, they have that education speak, that edu-speak. Um, uh, I was actually interviewed on, on Māori TV at one stage and I was hoping that they wouldn't ask me a question because I didn't understand what they were saying <laughs> because they used all these words that they'd learnt at university and I mm. didn't know them. Um, as it as it was, they they asked me uh, questions that I that I did understand. But um, yes, I was really really hoping that they wouldn't use some of these words, um, whakamahuki and konga and you know, sort of education speak. So things that you'd get at school or at university, but nobody else at the marae or whatever you know when you're doing a few pots and pans, nobody else you know would say those sort of words. Not at that day we waka kapiaki kone. え、けわかかやきこねえねこれとあとと、え、けわかといきてきてねうが、ペペ頭コロとてかいが。え、とたまわにてわおてこれ。え、これらのもてわいっぱうてややパリアカ。あのりでけわだと。え、けてぎな
And we'll be compacting our usual hour program into 30 minutes. But it'll still be jam-packed with all tiahika goodness. He mihi atu ki ngā kai kōrero i tēnei wiki, ki ngā kai kōrero ia wiki, ia wiki, nā mihi, ki ngā hua mahi, ki a rawe tō tautoko. Mā te whānau a tiahika, ki a tātou katoa, mauri ora tātou katoa.